I'm John Bailey, and this list took a lot longer than I expected it to. This is definitely one that I should have been preparing for when I came back from hiatus, but I've never been that good at planning things out, so here we are. Uh, but hey, the list is done, so with the 2019 out of the way, it's time to take one last look back before we move forward, and that's with the top 10 favorite and least favorite movies of the 2010s decade. I didn't want to do the blandest because I don't know how I would have broken that down. Plus, I didn't start collecting those until 2016. And so before we get started with the 10 favorite, let's break down some honorable mentions. Uh, if you want to see the complete list in its entirety, you can check them out on Letterboxd. Um, at, just look for Corn Junkie Pod on there. Letterboxd with a D at the end and then dot com. And uh, my five honorable mentions were uh, Spider-Man Far From Home. Which, uh, if you listen to my last episode, basically I just love it as a palate cleanser from Endgame. And I thought it took those themes, built on them in a nice way, and it showed a lot of good prospect for what's to come from the MCU uh, after the Infinity Saga. It's a really solid movie. And uh, number uh, my next one is Knives Out. Once again, don't want to say too much. It's best to just go in blind, as blind as possible. But suffice to say, it's Ryan Johnson's best movie by far. And just an absolutely phenomenal uh uh, who done it? Murder mystery. Uh, number next one is Dread, which I'm really sad didn't make the top ten. But hey, it's still just one of my favorite movies of all time, and I'm really pissed that it never got the love it deserves. And I really hope that they are able to do like at least like a video game or some follow up to it because man, Dread was so good. Man, it's so good. Uh, next up is Tucker and Dale versus Evil. One I also thought upon rewatch was going to make the the top ten, but. It is what it is. Uh, but yeah, Tucker and Dale vs. Evil is a, f a perfect parody of horror movies, especially the uh, killer in the cabin sort of, you know, uh, cabin in the woods sort of uh, hillbilly slasher movie. I Part of me wants more with these guys, but the other part is just like, I'm good with what I got. I don't want you to ruin it with a terrible sequel. Uh, and then the last honorable mention is Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Just a phenomenal, like... I wasn't, I, like, I tried rewatching Baby Driver, and it felt so bloated and full of itself. I just feel like, and not to mention that I didn't really get into the At the World's End, or was it The World? I think it's just The World's End. Um, I, I probably, I honestly think uh, Edgar Wright kind of peaked with this and Hot Fuzz. I feel like I haven't really seen him do such an amazing movie since then, but that's just me. Uh, so yeah, those are my five honorable mentions. Uh, so without further ado, let's get into the, scars of your love, they leave me the Popcorn Junkies' 10 Favorite Movies of the 2010s. Hey, 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 Number 10. At number 10 is Captain America, The Winter Soldier, my number one film from 2014. And it's, yeah, I genuinely love this movie in that it's a perfect sort of political intrigue. This is right when the Russo brothers came into the franchise, uh, to the MCU, and they really showcased what they were capable of. And they they set, you know, they really put their names out there and showed what that, you know, showed that they're names to be reckoned with and forces to be reckoned with and i did from the kitschy uh you know intro to uh his time in event in the avengers to now a really serious political thriller like really this was a per like you didn't like they could have done so many different ways with captain america but the fact that they did this with him showed that they really had confidence in the character and they were really good at you know making this sort of what what is essentially um, uh, God, what is, what is some of the, like, uh, all the, not all the Kingsmen, uh, uh, yeah, I think all the Kingsmen, all the Kingsmen? No, uh, whatever the one with, uh, about Woodward and Bernstein is, you know, the all, you know, it's like a Watergate thriller, but with superheroes, and it's like, these movies not, aren't, I mean, a lot of people think these movies are all the same, and there are elements of them that are all the same, but... You're not going to see... The Winter Soldier is nothing like Iron Man 3, and it's nothing like Guardians of the Galaxy. There are very... Depending on who's directing, there are various elements that make each one its own unique entity, if you know what... It, it, you know, if you look beyond the fact that it's just people in spandex punching things. 
So, yeah, Captain America the Winter Soldier is still one of my favorite MCU movie entries. And there's going to be a lot of them on this list. Yeah. <sighs> Number nine. Speaking of MCU, Black Panther is really good. Yeah, it's real good. Uh, I keep making that reference. I don't know if anybody knows it, but yeah. it Black Panther is really one of the best solo things. Uh, you know, one of the best solo features for the MCU. It is, you know, once again, it's a character. Like, one, people didn't really know about Iron Man, and then they were introduced to Iron Man through the movie, and they loved him. Here... We got a taste of Black Panther in Civil War, and then when they gave him his solo movie, it's this beautiful Afrofuturist sort of thing. And then you've got, you know, it's Afrofuture sent, uh, uh, setting. Then you've got real, real issues within, uh, you know, African American and then Af African, uh, you know, Africa and Black American relationships. The idea that you know people, you know, these rich, this rich diverse you know not diverse but this rich powerful country in africa cares nothing about the diaspora of all the slaves that have been taken from their motherland and then you know what that does you know what growing up in poverty has done to people like my uh, killmonger who is a, one of the best villains in the mcu by far played played particularly wonderfully by uh michael b jordan and yeah the whole the whole thing of stepping into your own Black Panther and, and Thor Ragnarok both deal with the same thing. Our great heroes of the past aren't as great as we think they are, and it, we, it's up to us to become better. And they're both really powerful movies. I just like Black. I just really like Black Panther um, as a movie itself, just because it really is. Uh, I can't once again, like I was saying during uh, when I was talking about Queen and Slim in my 2019 thing. I can't speak to the Black experience. But I can say that as somebody who is on the outside looking in, that watching Black Panther and seeing the reaction of so many people who finally feel like they've been spoken to, I'm happy. And and I'm especially happy because on top of that, you've also got this really phenomenal movie that works for everybody and specifically for, for, for black people. And I can't wait to see more Black Panther. I'm really excited to see what he ends up doing with uh, Black Panther 2. Number eight. It's not the MCU, but it's still Disney. It's Wreck-It Ralph. <laughs> oh, God. I'm such a corporatist hack. I can't stop sucking at the Disney teat, and yet I keep making things I love. <laughs> oh, why are you so terrible for me, Daddy? Daddy Disney. Um... Anyway, Wreck-It Ralph is by far my favorite Disney movie. Well, one of my favorite Disney movies uh, besides Bambi. Bambi will always be my number one, but Wreck-It Ralph did something that really captured me um, in terms of... And it, like, it wasn't as high on my 2012 list, but it's only gotten higher since watching it. Um, it really is just a super amazing wonderful movie that i keep going back to and keep finding more things to love about it uh the, just its love uh of video games and how much you can tell that in the detail in the little details and ralph's character his whole arc is wonderful uh the only thing i can say is isn't as great is probably vanellope but even then she's not you know her character arc here is better than in uh the sequel uh Fix, fix Felix, his relationship with Ralph and how it, grow, how it grows and changes over the course of the movie. Just everything about Wreck-It Ralph, man, is so wonderful. And I, I still tear up a bit at that, at, at that ending uh, quoting of the, of the villain's creed. You know, I'm good and that's not, you know, I, I'm bad and that's good. I will never be good and that's not bad. There's no one I'd rather be than me. It's just, oh, it's so... I love it, especially the way he the way it goes the whole you know context of his, of when Ralph finally says it because he doesn't say it in the beginning and then when he says it at the end when he finally when he finally believes it uh, it really is yeah just I love Wreck It Ralph man I could gush about it forever but I'll move on number seven. 
I'm really sad that I couldn't get off my ass and do video reviews in 2015 because I had the perfect announcing for this movie as my number one favorite movie of 2015. I... Had all I had it all filmed. I don't know if I still have the footage. I may be able to dig it up, but suffice to say that I, I basically had my whole stupid reviewer costume on because we were still doing that in 2015, uh, and I had a spray can of uh, cupcake icing, silver because I'm talking about Mad Max Fury Road. And my intro to it was my favorite movie of the year. One way to describe my favorite movie of the year. Witness me, internet. I am, I am awaited in Valhalla. Oh, God, it was so corny, and, but it was so wonderful at the same time. I loved, I was reveling in it because, yeah, Mad Max Fury Road is an absolutely wonderful movie. George Miller returned to the franchise and didn't miss a beat. Had an like Mad Max wasn't the wasn't specifically the main character. Arguably, he was there along for the ride with, uh, with uh, Charlize Theron's character. And, but the whole premise is fun, is crazy and fun. You had these really cool characters, Nicholas Holt as one of the war boys who who goes through his own character arc. Um, Morton Joe as a villain is is crazy wonderful. Just weird, crazy details of this thing where like there's the guitarist who shoots flames out of his guitar and just oh, you know, oh it's just all oh, the chase scene as they go as they try to you know, take these wives and get them to somewhere safer. And yeah, it's just all about, everything about it is, is fantastic. Uh, love Mad Max Fury Road. I haven't watched, rewatched it in forever. I need to get it like on Blu-ray or something so I can rewatch it again because, oh, it's so, I remember, I love it so much when I first watched it and I haven't taken the time to rewatch it and I need to fix that. Number six. So, 2012, my number one movie of the year was The Avengers. And here it is at number six. Uh, it really is one of the top tier MCU movies for me. Uh, just the lead up to it and everything about it, just the way it's almost flawlessly executed. Almost. Obviously, there's still flaws in it. But just the way it plays out and it's so well, finely tuned and crafted, it really is like the perfect kind of blockbuster and i still love it i could still t put it on and watch watch it like m not like uh you know just like relax it's like a nice perfect chill out movie for me and uh the it would there would be better movies to come from it but part you know i'm still partial to the avengers and i can always go back and rewatch it whenever i want which is part of what makes a favorite movie for me number five Number five is Detective Pikachu. I already gushed about it in 2019, so to recap, basically, Legendary proved to us that they can make live-action Pokemon movies, and they won't suck. Like, of all the video game adaptation movies, here's one that's not gonna suck, because the people behind it know what they're doing. And I'm proud of that, and I'm really hopeful for what they do next. I, I'm kind of glad that they're staying away from the anime specifically and they're sticking towards the games. I think that's better ground for them to do, whereas the anime has its own foibles. The game has a lot more ground for them to work with, you know? I would rather they not try to cram a single game into a single movie. I feel like you could do a trilogy of movies, maybe like five movies out of the game French, out of covering the game storyline, because especially if the later games where they the storylines get even crazier. But yeah, um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what else they do with live action Pokemon because they've proven they can do it, and it's not gonna suck. Number four. Number four was my number one movie for, what was it, 2015, I think? 2020, 20, was it 2016? Hold on. Let me pull up my lists. 2016. Uh, yeah. Uh, Captain America Civil War. I gushed about it uh, a bit in my in the uh, 
2019 list when referring to um uh what was it uh oh well, i was comparing it to annabelle come annabelle comes home um but yeah mm-hmm. captain america civil war takes that premise of the superheroes turning against each other and takes what is the convoluted hot mess of the comics version which is universe-wide and focuses specifically on the characters we've introduced here in the mcu currently well at the time currently and then they introduced spider-man and black panther along with it and it's all about how and it's all personal it's much more personal and it and the way they the way the villain is treated um and i hear they're gonna bring him back for uh uh, it's the villain in the overall villain in the movie is Zemo, who is one of Captain America's longest running villains. He's actually like a not immortal Nazi from the comics. So the fact that he in this universe he's more along more along the lines of somebody who lost everything and decided to take all of his vengeance against the hero, the so-called heroes, I think it's much more powerful than just here's an here's an immortal Nazi that he has to keep fighting. And and I'm hearing that they're going to bring him back for, uh, I think they're calling it uh, uh, Winter, Sol- Fal- Fal- Winter Soldier, Falcon and Winter Soldier. I thought it was supposed to be Captain America and Winter Soldier. Like, are they really going to not let him be Captain America? Because, I don't, I don't know. But anyway, um, I hear he's coming back, and I'm very interested to see what they do with him uh, following the events of this movie. And this is still, once again, another movie I could just pop in and enjoy front to back. I love it. Number three. My number one movie from 2013, and it's still just as good as the first time I watched it, Pacific Rim. That sequel didn't do anything for me, and it's really disappointing that I couldn't hold build you know couldn't hold up to the original. But you know what? That original still exists. It's still a phenomenal kaiju movie, and it's absolutely a beautiful tribute by Guillermo del Toro to the kaiju movies. And yeah, it's just it's it, the, my only complaint is that so much of the shots are dark and in the rain that it's hard to follow some of them sometimes. But at the same point, like the fight sequences are still phenomenal. That's just it's like it's giant robots fighting giant monsters. It, if you're either you're into it or you're not, and I'm into it. So Pacific Rim. Yeah, number three movie of the 2010s for me. Number two. Number two is my number one movie from, I believe, 2017. I want to get that right. 2017 was... Error. No, 2017 was Last Jedi hate you give when wait when did uh infinity war come out hold on a sec captain america civil war was 2016 2017 it would have been 2018 so where is it on my 2018 list there it is it's behind won't you be my neighbor it wasn't number one so it threw me for a loop no um that was, a, that was an interesting year where all, like, the really serious movies were the ones that hit me more than Infinity War. But, honestly, in retrospect, the, ones I, the one I keep going back to is Infinity War. Like, The Hate You Give was my favorite movie of that year, but as, as we've gone on from 2018, the only one that keeps coming back from that list besides, you know, besides Black Panther is Infinity War. Like, I don't go, keep going back to Sorry to Bother You or The Hate You Give or Won't You Be My Neighbor... Even though those are really good, but it, it but Infinity War, man, it really is the, my favorite of the Marvel movies so far. It's just a really well executed sort of pre, you know, lead up uh, to everything that's been built. You know, it's part one of the epic conclusion to this entire Infinity saga, and I just wish I enjoyed the the ending as much, uh, you know, as much as everyone else did, but. I still like part one more, but that's just me. So yeah, Infinity War, number two favorite movie of the 2010s. And uh, if you've listened to my t- favorite movies of 2019, then you can probably guess what number one is for the 2010s.
Number One. Godzilla King of the Monsters. Just no build-up, no lead-in. Just, I'm a dork. I love giant monster movies. And Godzilla King of the Monsters is not only my favorite movie of the of 2019, it's one I can just always pop in and go back to and just enjoy front to back. Wonderful, wonderful movie for me. Just, it's a movie almost made specifically for me. And I, I can't help but love it. And even if there's never anything else from Legendary Pictures, Monsterverse, that it comes close to it, I still have King of the Monsters, and I can still enjoy it as much as I did the first time. So, yeah, I'm not even going to belabor the point. I already talked about it more in the 2019 end of the year list, and it's still just one of my favorite movies. Godzilla King of the Monsters, so... Sorry. Right. <laughs> you know, if you were expecting anything really serious or moving or mind-blowing in this list... It's all, it's all franchise fodder and blockbusters. Sorry, that's who I am. Uh, and if you want RT lists, check out like Renegade Cut, and um, I really hope that Kyle makes like a favorite of the his his favorite movies of the either like the decade or something like that. I don't know. I, I've mi I miss Kyle Cogren. I can't, uh, and I'm happy to hear that he's really back. He's starting to get back into the swing of things. Also, follow him on Twitter. He's amazing. Well, that takes care of the favorite movies. Why don't we get into some really bad stuff? Uh, before we get into the list proper, I'm going to break down the uh, dishonorable mentions. And for this one, there were multiple entries in the same franchise, um, so I've paired them together. So for the dishonorable mentions, uh, num uh, the first one is Sausage Party, which I'm kind of disappointed to hear Saberspark uh, enjoyed it as much as... I, 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 nothing against Saberspark. Um, you know, he's a great content creator, I love his stuff, but anytime I hear somebody said, hey, Sausage Party is pretty good, I'm like, mm, um, I kind of give them that side eye, like, you know, sure about that? Because it really is just, even though pe I think people gravitate towards that that um, theme of questioning traditions and beliefs and thinking for yourself, but it's a very poorly written version of that. And the rest of the movie is all terrible stereotypes and awful, awful jokes. It's like shocking for the sake of being shocking. It's it's tiresome. And I absolutely hated it the first time. And any time I think about it, I hate it even more. So, yeah, Sausage Party is garbage. And I have no problem saying it. Um, That's My Boy is the highest... Uh, I never got the chance to see Jack and Jill. That's the one problem with this recap is I wanted to try and catch everything that I missed up to this point. I got a lot, but I did miss a bunch of stuff and I didn't see Jack and Jill. So I can't say if that's better or worse, but that's my boy is the highest is the lowest uh, rated of the Adam Sandler movies on this and on my uh, least favorite of the decade list. And oh boy, it's, it's awful. Nothing like having a, uh, you know, child raped by its teacher, his teacher, to be the impetus for your story. And that's not even the worst part of the, of the movie. God, that's my boy sucks. Uh, uh, next up, we've got a twofer. Uh, both of Tyler Perry's Boo, A Medea Halloween. They're cheap, low-budget garbage, and honestly the worst thing he's ever made. And that's saying something. This is the guy who made a movie about uh, everybody getting AIDS. Real fact, go watch Temptation, Confessions of a Marriage Counselor. The, 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 I, I'm not, the only thing, you're going to be shocked by it? You're going to be less shocked by it by me giving away the twist, but seriously. The end of the movie is everybody got AIDS and shit. That's, that, that Tyler Perry made a movie and put his name on it. The, with that being the ending. So, yeah. It's, it, but the, even that wasn't as bad as Boo 1 and 2. Those are absolute garbage unwatchable you're shocked that a professional filmmaker made those movies they look so bad and the jokes aren't any better so tyler perry's boo halloween specials are they were made in spite to spite in, in reference to a joke that chris rock made and i think um top five uh in either in top five or 
around the time the top five came out, he made the joke of Tyler Perry doing a Halloween special. And Tyler Perry did a Halloween special. And it sucked. Because it was a throwaway joke from Chris Rock. You don't base your entire, uh, an entire movie off of that. Uh, anyway, next on uh, Dishonorable Mention is Unplanned. One of my least favorite movies of this year. Still an awful, misleading, lying piece of garbage. And the last Dishonorable Mention is one I'm kind of shocked didn't make it to the list proper. But The Divide. It's from 2010? I think it was from 2012. It was a low-budget horror, horror movie about these people stuck in a bunker after some kind of apocalyptic event. And it's just everybody is an asshole for 90 minutes, and it's awful. It is just painful to try and watch, and I can't re recommend anybody watch it unless you're doing it out of spite. This is something you watch out of hate and spite, because it's definitely not to enjoy it. Uh... Yeah, it's de genuinely an awful, awful experience, and uh, I, I'm so glad I, I, I hate I hate that I know it exists, but oh well, it's what it comes with trying to cover the worst of the decade. Anyway, let's get into that list proper, shall we? The, the Popcorn Junkies' ten least favorite movies of the 2010s. Number 10. Number 10 is a three-way tie because it's all three entries of the God's Not Dead trilogy. And I figured rather than try to include the other two as dishonorable mentions, I'll just include them as all one entry because they're all the exact same type of bad. They are, ab they are the evangelical, douchey, like, oh, woe is me victimhood of... And like the whole, the first movie, the first movie is based on the really terrible anecdote of the evangelical kid who stands up to his philosophy teacher. And it gets worse from there. Every subsequent entry in the God's Not Dead series is worse than the last. And that saying something could have started off terrible. And, it, and the fact that it only gets worse is just a testament to how terrible Pure Flix is, and especially to David A.R. White, who is an absolute hack of a filmmaker. God's Not Dead is just pandering nonsense, who playing the victim card to people who, who basically have have all the power in the world for themselves. They have no they have never been the victim since, oh I don't know, before the day of the Holy Roman Empire. That was the last time Christians were victims. At least in terms of, at least in, you know, any, any sense where Christianity is the dominant religion, you were never the victim. So, get over yourselves. Dirty bit. Number nine. Dirty bit. Wow, I'm surprised this isn't any higher. But, Norm of the North, number nine. My number, my when I started this podcast in 2016, this was the worst movie uh, of that year. And I still stand by it. Norm of the North is an unwatchable piece of garbage. And the fact that it had two sequels. Yes, you heard me right. There are two sequels to Norm of the North. And they are set in China. For some reason. Because apparently they figured China would love this guy. And so and it's so bad that Rob Schneider couldn't even get back for the sequels. They, were, they, could, they didn't even bother to keep Rob Schneider, of all people, on for the sequels. Oi. <laughs> Uh, when you can't hold on to Rob Schneider, you know your movie's bad. But yeah, The Norm of the North is it, it, it's inexcusable. And I'm kind of glad that their, their, their last movie, Arctic Dogs, um, same studio, yeah. Arctic Dogs, that movie that bombed uh, around Thanksgiving, the one with Jeremy, Jeremy Renner in it. Uh, yeah, that was the same studio behind Norm of the North. Arctic Dogs looks better, but it's obviously not any better, and people caught on, and they allowed it, and thankfully it bombed, and I'm hopeful the studio kind of just goes away. Because unless they can start doing better, I don't, we don't need them around. Dirty bit. Number eight. Dirty bit. Number eight is Atlas Shrugged. 
Now, this is another franchise where each subsequent entry was worse than the last. And yet, it was never as close together as God's Not Dead. God's Not Dead, all those entries were, were kind of clumped together because they were the same amount of awful. The first, the first Atlas Shrugged is a god-awful movie. Absolutely terrible. And it bombed, which by the logic of people who all believe in objectivism and the whole free, you know, mark and the marketplace dictating whether or not something succeeds or not, you'd think that would tell them, oh, this failed. We should stop. And yet they continued. They went further by starting Kickstarters to try and back their terrible movies. They can't keep a cast through throughout the entire franchise. They consistently recast their entire movie with each subsequent entry. So part two is even worse. Part three is almost unwatchable. It is that terribly made. And they are so far gone from basic competent filmmaking that you would be better off to watch like uh, amateur filmmakers on YouTube. You would get a better production than you would out of Atlas Shrugged Part 3. Not to mention the fact that this is the one where they finally, you know, the John Galt character who's the big like, who's John Galt? As though that was a thing. Jo they finally introduced John Galt in Part 3 and he's basically libertarian Jesus. He is, he might as well just be called Libertarian Jesus because that's what he is in the movie. And he's the love, and they took this, you know, female CEO figure that's been the main character for the last two entries. And now all of a sudden, all she, all, her whole point is to just sit there and be goo-goo-eyed for John Galt. Oh, Libertarian Jesus, tell me more about, about austerity measures. Ooh, oh, God, this whole franchise is mind-boggling, the fact that they, the fact that the people who who believe in the marketplace dictating whether or not something is worthy or not because they think, hey, if the marketplace says it's if the mark if it succeeds in the marketplace, that means it's good, and yet this failed, so they're like, no, no, -uh. we're gonna keep going, we're gonna finish it. No, you'd failed part one. Nobody wanted it. It failed. It's a f abject failure we'll ask people for their own money then we'll make our own movie that was the problem we tried to make a movie your way now we're gonna make a movie our way <laughs> oh god that's a that's a how did this get made in a half this entire franchise it's it's bananas i'm guessing dirty bit number seven Number seven is the Nutcracker 3D. Did you know this thing existed? Because I only knew it existed because of Film Brain. Film Brain introduced me to this fine piece of cinema. Uh, the basic premise here is it's the Nutcracker told by a man who has probably taken too many drugs and has gone completely insane. That's the best way I can describe it because it's a guy who, despite saying he likes the story of the Nutcracker, decided to completely change the story of the Nutcracker to include Albert Einstein. Yes, you heard me right. Albert Einstein. Also, Sigmund Freud is mentioned in the movie. He only shows up in the beginning, but then he's mentioned later on because they're going to take the kids to go see Sigmund. Note to parents, don't take your kids to see Sigmund Freud. He'll just give them cocaine. Uh, yeah, and then, of course... Uh, we throw in the fact that the the Mouse King is now a Rat King. Okay, fine. Rats are seen, see, you know, seen as much more terrifying as mice because they're bigger and you know they're they're much more rat, you know, angry and violent than rat than mice. I, I get that. Well, what if we made the rats Nazis? Why? Okay, but why though? Like, like why though? Why? What? Why? Why? <laughs> oh, oh, God! And then, then throw on top of that the fact that every, every, you know, all the production about this sucks. Moaning Myrtle, the actress who plays Moaning Myrtle, is voicing the wooden version of the Nutcracker Boy, who is an asshole, by the way. He's just a complete abject asshole in the movie. And despite having a real boy to play the Nutcracker when he changes back to a real boy, 
They didn't have the little boy. Why would you not have the little boy to voice the Nutcracker when they're the same person? Does his voice change because he's a Nutcracker because he got no nuts? What? 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 Rastafarian drummer. Sure. There's a monkey man. It's the Planet of the Apes. It's the Planet of the Apes now. I just imagine that's everybody on the set of that movie during the production because I can't imagine the people involved in making this knew, knew it was going to be any good. They can't imagine that this was going to be good in any capacity. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Nutcracker 3D. If you want some banana stuff, go watch that. It is... Uh, actually... Go back and watch the uh, film bra Phil Brain's review of it. Have that filter. Have him be your filter to the madness, because unless you have the stomach for that, you don't want any of this, Dewey Cox. Dirty bit. Number six. Dirty bit. Number six, I was introduced to, to the lovely people over at formerlyofspill.com. And now currently running uh, Double Toasted. I say people because I specifically mean Corey Coleman. Thank you, Corey Coleman. This movie is not my favorite. Uh, yes, if you followed uh, Spill or Corey into Double Toasted, you, you know what number six is. It's the Oogie Loves. It's the Oogie Loves. Oh boy, it's the Oogie Loves. Oh, my favorite. Gary always is, is a cowboy now, and we're gonna bring in uh, Chorus Leachman for some reason. What she doesn't know what's going on. Oh, it's awful. It's all awful. Then, then you've got, then you've got Jamie Presley with Christopher Lloyd in a flying sombrero, and Christopher Lloyd plays the plays the bongos. He plays the drums. And they all speak. Jamie Presley is given putting on an accent. That's that's not a terrible idea at all. Uh, and then Tony Braxton's there. She's there to sing a song. I don't know why. I don't know why she's here. I I don't know what's going on. What is going on? How did this happen? Who allowed this to happen? What is going on? Uh, this is this fever dream is brought to us by the creator of the Teletubbies. And it rightfully bombed at the box office because it's absolute hot garbage. So, yeah. If you've got the stomach for terrible movies, especially, like, really terrible, out in, in, insane kids movies, sure, why not? Go check it out. Dirty bit. Number five. Dirty bit. In rewatching a bunch of the movies that were on my worst of the year list to kind of see, gauge, you know, gauge where my uh, tastes have changed. Because Baby Driver was on my favorite of 2016 list, I believe, um, or 17, whenever it came out. And I rewatched it, and it ultimately isn't, I, I did enjoyed it less on rewatch. Mainly because it, it, you know, it features a known uh, pedophile and... Uh, Ultimate, but then ultimately, it's also like really overwritten and whatnot. Paper Driver is not bad. It's just not as good as I remembered it, and uh, not as good as that first time watching it. But um, I rewatched um, my number one worst movie from 2012, back when I had a persona because everyone was trying to be a nostalgia critic because we didn't realize he sucked. And my number one movie of that, my number one least favorite movie of 2012 was the Tim and Eric movie, which was because I couldn't finish it when when I was trying to watch it. I thought it was so awful that I turned it off. It was the only other movie I never finished watching uh, to review, besides um, one that I'll get into. And if you've listened to my uh, 2019 year on list, you'll, you'll know what's coming. But um, I rewatched Tim and Eric's movie, and I didn't hate it. It's not good. It's, it, it suffers from trying to expand what, is, what are great, like, online shorts. Like, these are great YouTube skits. They are not great for long-form storytelling. And I think that's the biggest issue, is that it's trying to do a long-form story when these guys are best in short bursts. These are sprint runners, not marathoners. So, it, it, plus, not, not to mention the fact that so much of Tim and Eric's comedy has influenced comedy, especially on the internet. 
that when you wa- that so much of the people I enjoy now are basically tr- are basically influenced by Tim and Eric. That watching Tim and Eric, I'm like, oh, I see where these guys. I like get it. Okay, this isn't that bad. So I don't know what's changed between 2012 and now, but I need to. But I'm not as I'm not as uh, hard on uh, uh, Tim and Eric as I was in 2012. The Devil Inside, meanwhile, is still absolute garbage. Uh, the Devil Inside, for those who don't know, was a is a found footage horror movie from 2012 that decided to make, make the bare minimum of the feature length count by going just over an hour. It's a you know exorcist movie. It's all about a woman trying to prove that her mom's uh, possessed by a demon, and it sucks. And then at the end, they tell you to go visit a website. Real real talk. Devil Inside ends by telling the audience, who was at the theaters at the time, to go visit a website for more information after an hour of a terrible movie. This is unacceptable behavior. This is absolute garbage. This is an absolute garbage move by the filmmakers, and they should be ashamed of themselves. I don't know if they've made anything else since then, but... Um, I haven't seen any other terrible horror movies tell me to visit websites, so I'm hoping that's the case. Ugh. Devil Inside is still garbage, and it pisses me off to think about it even now. Even more so than the Annabelle pilot movie that they made, with just a pilot for multiple spin-off ideas. This is worse than that. It's so blatantly awful. Dirty bit. Number four. Dirty bit. Uh, these next couple are gonna be hard to, hard to not rage at, but... Yep, these are still just as bad as the first time. First up, number four, Movie 43. My second le- least favorite movie of 2013. It is a collection of awful sketch comedy paired together with a terrible wraparound story that does not deserve to exist. It's best known for putting prosthetic balls on uh Hugh Jackman's chin that's literally the only thing you really need to know about this movie that's the only thing that's memorable about it other than the fact that it pisses you off for how much it sucks all the all the sketches are terrible this is from one of the one of the Farrelly brothers you know the guys who made all those really funny comedies in the 90s well apparently he decided to just make awful 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 sketch comedy from directors who should know better. Elizabeth Banks was one of the directors of a sketch. J- James Gunn directed a sketch. Bob Odenkirk directed a sketch. Brett Ratner. Oh, oh, good. You included Brett Ratner. Good, good. God, this this absolutely is uh, is is a how did this get made story and a half? I'm guessing because it is it it. It boggles the mind how this, co- how, I mean, I get it. I, I wanted to make, I, like, I had an idea for an anthology movie of my own, but it's basically a collection of trailers. It probably wouldn't work because, you know, anthology re- movies are hard to do, but it, it absolutely is a terrible, terrible anthology movie, and it's not funny in the slightest, and I'm shocked that so many people who should know better ended up being involved, although I'm guessing they had no idea what what what, they, what was going to come from this piece of garbage. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, although apparently George Clooney... Uh, declined to take part so he knew what was he knew what was up george clooney knows what's up he knows a stinker when he sees one and poor richard gear tried to get his name taken off after the fact oh oh buddies it's poor richard gear he got he got screwed into it and he didn't realize until too late what kind of trash he was in uh good for george clooney though he knows what's up dirty bit number three dirty bit so you want to know what's worse than really terrible sketch comedy from people who should know better? Even worse sketch comedy from somebody who you wish would just not. Because the, ahead of movie 43 in 2013, my least favorite movie was a movie called In-App Appropriate Comedy. I say that specifically because that's how the movie is spelled. Because the gimmick is that all the sketches are from little apps on the phone. They don't stick with this gimmick because the man who made it is the nutcase who went on to sh- who went on to shill for ShamWow. 
Vince the yep. You know Vince the ShamWow guy? Do you know the reason he made those ShamWow and other infomercials? Is because he went into debt because he made a terrible movie called The Underground Comedy Movie? Yes. True story. Vince the ShamWow guy went started off trying to make really terrible movies. One of those was called The Underground Comedy Movie. If you watched cable in the 2000s, you would have seen a commercial for this late at night. And nobody was able to... You weren't able to sell it because it was made illegally. It, everything about his his filmmaking process was done... Well, here, let me pull up the actual story. Okay, I got the uh, article here uh, for the Underground Comedy movie. Apparently what had happened was uh, Vince Offer decided to make a movie in 1999. The Underground Comedy movie. And he went bankrupt by 2002. And uh, he couldn't afford... Uh, home distribution so he sold the uh the the chop the vegetable chopper um the slap chop and raised enough money to complete the project and he was only able to sell the movie on late night infomercials that he paid for himself from selling the vegetable choppers uh earn uh less than favorable reviews da, da, da. a lot of people everyone hated it pretty much um Infense material can be funny in the right hands, but offer makes the common mistake of equating the recognition of comic potential for comedy itself. For the successful, talent bridges the gap, but here, talent is absent. <laughs> oh, that's not fair. That's not very nice, even if it is true. Mr. Van Gelder from uh, well, the New York Post. Uh, the film was the subject of several lawsuits filed by Offer against others. On the 23rd of 1998, Offer filed suit against 20th Century Fox and the, and, uh, the Fairley Brothers, he claimed that 14 scenes when Mary were lifted from his film, and nobody, and the Farrelly's rightfully said, nobody ever heard of your piece of crap film. And uh, the order, and the court ordered in 2000 that 20th Century Fox was awarded $66,000 in attorney's fees. Uh, offer sued Anne and Nicole Smith, claiming that Smith agreed to be in his movie but backed out over fears of appearing in a movie that would be detrimental to her career and won $4 million. Um, Press release through uh, PR News Online announcing his intention to sue the Church of Scientology. Uh, had be allegedly begun a large-scale smear campaign against Offer and his film. <laughs> the director claimed Scientologist Celebrity Center labeled him a criminal and threatened his Scientology friends in the movie business with condemnation punishment that would that could be lethal to their careers if they did not write malicious reports against Offer. <laughs> oh, oh, but uh, this dude, this, this dude, oh boy. Um, anyway, so he decided, uh, after, after all the, um, success of the underground comedy movie that, uh, he should try it again in 2010 and, uh, basically lifted whole sketches from the underground comedy movie and remade them now with freaking Adrian Brody as one of them. And, uh, terrible movie alumni, Rob Schneider and Michelle Rodriguez, and Lindsay Lohan as herself. Uh, Rob Schneider's in here in two separate uh, sketches because, of course, he is. And um, and he, and funny thing is, if you watch the trailer for this, you can see Lindsay Lohan had her ankle monitoring bracelet on during filming. <laughs> oh, it's hilarious! Uh, the project eventually expanded to fully new feature. Uh, Ari Shafir uh, was added into the mix because he's such, I think he's better now, but he, he, in this movie, he's an absolute piece of trash. Um, and mostly using the same people brought back. Uh, it's all staged. Of course it was. And, uh, and yeah, and this movie is called worse than movie 43, which is accurate and perfect 0% on rotten tomatoes. Also accurate. Uh, yeah, it's genu it's genuinely awful and uh, absolutely bombed at the box office because I can't imagine, like, it made $228,000 and I can't imagine it cost a million, it cost, I, I can't imagine it cost even less than that to make. So yeah, Vince Offer is a hack and a half and I'm glad his, his stuff continues to fail because he deserves it. So yeah. Inappropriate comedy is absolute garbage, and Vince Offer should learn to stay in his lane. Dirty bit. Number two. Dirty bit. Hey, 
now we're getting into the really, really rough ones to talk about. Because number two is one that is going <laughs> to... I don't know how much it's going it, to... It landed me in some... Uh, than the most activity I got on my Instagram page because assholes defending Dinesh D'Souza would not shut the hell up on my Instagram page because I made a joke referencing. And that's when I stopped tagging evangelical movies. Any movie that I knew I was going to hate, I stopped tagging it in a hashtag on Instagram so that I wouldn't get inundated with those with douchebags defending it in the comments because I don't need that shit in my life. At any rate... Uh, Dinesh D'Souza's Death of a Nation is on here because it's the one Dinesh D'Souza movie I watched, and it's the one that I can only imagine, and I can only imagine each, each subsequent Dinesh D'Souza movie is worse than the last, because he is a terrible filmmaker who absolutely obfuscates the truth in order to push his agenda. He's a propagandist of the highest order, and he's a hack job at that. In fact, a good um, litmus test for if you should trust somebody's opinion is to ask what they think of Dinesh D'Souza. And if it is anything but vitriol, you know that they have no taste in either documentaries and or even a grasp of reality. If they think Dinesh D'Souza makes anything less than garbage. He really is. I used to compare this guy to Michael Moore. Like, oh, Michael Moore and Dinesh D'Souza, they're the same. Oh, God, I was so in my horseshoe theory bullshit back in the day. Michael Moore is not... Michael Moore's biggest problem is that he puts too much of himself in the movies. But he's... I do know that Michael... But having, in the same year that I watched Death of a Nation, I watched Michael Moore's movie, Fahrenheit 11.9. You think it's going to be all about Trump, and it's not. It's mostly about the rise of leftist and populist um, candidates uh, who are pushing... Who are wanting to push the Democratic Party further to the left to combat the further rightening and just further furthering off the cliff that the Republican Party has gone since Reagan, probably since Nixon, if you want to go back. But it is mainly focused on the election, but it's not entirely about Trump because instead of wanting to make it all about Trump and all about, um, you know, how awful Trump is, he knows that that's not a good film. He wants to showcase that in the wake of everything leading up to the 2016 election, specifically that the DNC was more cared more about catering to their corporate base, corporate donors, than to their actual voters. Then, um, and, that, and then that's what happened to the election because Hillary Clinton actually, if you, and he reveals this that um, the, you know people actually spoke to him from like West Virginia. They were they they said oh. You know, Bernie Sanders got these many votes, and then they turned it over to the D- the West Virginia DNC, and they said, "Oh, Hillary Clinton wins West Virginia." And it's like, but that's not where the votes went. So there was very clearly some office. You know, there's some shenanigans going on with the DNC catering toward their corporate candidate, but that but that the overall message is that. You know, not just like uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, but uh, Rashida Tlaib, who won office. Um, oh God, I forget his name. Uh, here, I'll pull up uh, the wiki for it. Um, but basically, there were he showcased uh, um, so many uh, candidates. Not all of them won, but um, uh, sorry, the um, basically the Wikipedia wasn't as uh, as um, comprehensive for some reason. Uh, he also spoke to uh, David Hogg, uh, one of the um, the uh, uh, I can't, what St- Stoneman Douglas uh, kids who went on to speak against uh, gun violence. Um, okay, here we go. Da-da-da. Where are we? God, holy crap! There's so many. They, they IMDb is way more comp- comprehensive. I'm actually having trouble uh, finding all the people. Rashida Tlaib. There we go. Um, we also. Um, why can't I I follow him on Twitter still why can't I remember his name um I guess this is in direct or uh Sotomayor Julia Roberts Reed Nixon Uh, come on what is his name not Gorsuch uh Zach Galifianakis I haven't watched this in so long. I can't believe I forgot Zach Galifianakis was feet. Oh, he must have featured the um, Barack Obama between two ferns segments. That's probably why. Um, is it Roger Stone? That's not right. No, Roger Stone was um, was the douchebag with the Nixon tattoo who went to jail. 
Pat, asshole. Um, why can't I see the guy's name? Uh, why can't I see? Oh, oh, found him, found him. Richard Ojeda. Ojeda? Ojeda. Ojeda. Uh, basically, he's a he's a truck driver, I think former military. I don't remember which branch. Um, in fact, let me... I follow him on Twitter. You should definitely uh, do the same. Uh, Army major. West Virginia State Senator. Served as West Virginia State Senator. He, um, he attempted... Oh, wait, did he win? Okay, hold on. Ojeda. Okay. Uh, Richard Ojeda. Um, so yeah, he did... Did he win? Served as West Virginia... Till his resignation in January 2019. Um... So wait, what happened? I, I thought he didn't win. Uh, ran for West Virginia's third congressional district, vacated by the was filed campaign only accepted donations from individual donors. Campaign agreed to an interview. Eleven nine. The polling came to an it indicated tight race. Trump traveled to West Virginia for Miller. Mocked Ojeda. Uh, by pronouncing his name with a Hispanic accent. Jesus Christ, asshole. Um, Ojeda was defeated in the general election. I thought, yeah, poor guy didn't win, but uh, follow Richard Ojeda on uh, Twitter. He's a he's a standout guy. Um, I mention all of this because uh, that's way more interesting than the Dinesh D'Souza movie, which is absolute hot garbage. Um, Michael Moore is willing to kind of look at bigger picture stuff. And Dinesh D'Souza is willing to just make um, absolute horse shit up because he's a hack. So, yeah, Death of a Nation. Like all of Dinesh D'Souza movies, it's garbage. So you should avoid it at all costs. I had the time of my life And I never felt this way before And I swear this is true And I Number one. Last and certainly least, I'm not going to... If you want to hear my more direct thoughts on it, you can check out the 2019 year-end list because I don't want to get into it again. Suffice to say that No Safe Spaces is absolute trash and is, is the worst documentary I have ever seen in my life. I have yet... It is worse than Dinesh D'Souza. It is that bad. And I can't recommend anybody ever put lay eyes on it. Treat it like the Ark of the Covenant. Just look away. Don't ever look at it. It is, it is, it is just only going to ruin your life. And if you, do, and if it doesn't, then I want nothing to do with you. Just we're never, we're never going to get along if you agree with Dinesh D'Souza, and especially if you agree with Dennis Prager and Adam Carolla. We are not going to get along, period. End of sentence. I want you nowhere near me. That's, that's, that's a fact. I don't care. I don't care if you, if you argue I'm making little safe space for myself and I'm a snowflake. I don't care. I'm not here for your bullshit. I don't have the energy to keep up with your bullshit. I have other things to do with my life. So no, I'm not here. I don't care about Adam fucking Corolla. And I can't wait to never think about him again. So yeah, that's the end of this list. And um, yeah, it's the end of the decade in general. Uh, I don't know how any of the... If, I'll, if my mind will change later on, but uh, that, <laughs> I'm kind of glad to let, thing, let the past die, the parts that sucked, and we can focus on the good stuff and look forward to what's to come. That's going to do it for this uh, special episode from the Popcorn Junkie. Uh, next week is going to be all reviews-centric. I'm going to see about uh, catching up on Netflix stuff since it's going to be a light at the theaters. And uh, as for the usual stuff, be sure to check us out on Gumby Cat Networks. And uh, be sure to share us on your social media. Support the show on Patreon, patreon.com slash popcornjunkie. Uh, if you're able to, and you can be sure to leave a five-star rating and review on your various podcast providers and follow us on various social media 
Facebook.com slash Popcorn Junkie, Corn Junkie Pod on Twitter, Corn Junkie Pod on Letterboxd. All my lists are on Letterboxd for this special as well, so you can look at them in order again. Uh, You can also follow me on Stardust at uh, Popcorn Junkie, and uh, follow me on Instagram at Popcorn Junkie Podcast. That's going to do it for this episode of Popcorn Junkie, so until next time, uh, say goodbye, 2010s. The theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look up Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of their music. Artwork provided by Nafio, N-A-F-Y-O. Look up nafio.deviantart.com for more of his artwork. Take your kid to go see Sigmund Freud. He'll he'll just give them cocaine and tell them you want to fuck your dad. But, um...